With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. WQAD Podcast Network. Movers and shakers leading businesses, nonprofits, governments, and schools across the Quad City area, Illinois, and Iowa. How did they get started? What is their story? Their goals? Their advice for the next generation of the girl power movement? And now, here's your host for Wonder Women, News 8's Angie Sharp. Powerful women with powerful positions. This is the Wonder Woman podcast. It's a show dedicated to showing off the girl bosses in our communities. My guest is Rachel Savage. She's the superintendent of the Moline Coal Valley School District. Welcome, Dr. Savage. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I know I can call you Rachel, but we just have to start with the fact that you have the kind of the coolest last name ever. <laughs> I love Thank your you. last name. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And let me tell you, when I was a middle school principal, it really, really did come in handy. I feel like the word savage, especially um, in the world we're living now, has become such a, like, a cool term, right? It wasn't, you know, back then. Right, right, right. It's definitely used in a variety of different ways that mean good and bad. So I just, I, you know, obviously it's my husband's last name, uh, but I, I get a charge out of um, hearing all the comments about that. Yep, you and me are one of the same with our last names, that's for sure. <laughs> Right, that's good. Your last name is good yeah. for you as well. It's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, so I should just remind our listeners that we're recording this podcast episode in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. I know it's something you're all used to, um, but it's something that's also having a huge impact, especially on the work that you do. Right, Rachel? That's correct. You know, we are just trying to figure out what's the best way to move forward with our kids, um, knowing as educators that we are restricted from doing what we know we should be doing in terms of serving the kids in our community. So it really is heartbreaking uh, to be in this position um, that all schools across our country are in. I know you've been talking with families and students, and lately I feel like I've been hearing a lot from my teacher friends about how they're feeling with the upcoming school year really, really close. Uh, what have you been hearing from all of those different um, entities of the school district? You know, every every stakeholder has a different um, perspective and viewpoint, which is why, you know, we really dedicated nearly a month to hear from as many of them as possible. And we certainly spent a lot of time with not only our teacher leadership, but members of our um, teacher organization. because. They really are going to be the doers of the plan. And so to put together a plan without their input would be just really ineffective and disrespectful, in my opinion. So we worked for days on end with members of our teacher leadership teams and, um, of course, uh, just a cross-section of the membership overall in our district just to say, hey, what are we missing? Um, what does this look like from your end? What do we need to include? And so we really gained valuable insight. And again, as the doers of the plan, 
keeping them in lockstep with, with every decision and really making sure that they understand the rationale of the decision was something we placed high value on. You know, some, some of the items of the plan, as you have heard in talking with other districts in our region, were really uh, directives or mandates, either from the state of Illinois, the State Department of Education, or the State Department of Health. So we had to make sure that our stakeholders understood which pieces we were required to do and which pieces of the plan are really um, coming out of our stakeholder surveys and some of the virtual community conversations that we had held. And I think that that's one of the challenges is a lot of the stakeholders sometimes feel like they don't really have a voice because of those state mandates, but there are certain things that they do get to have a voice, and obviously you guys are listening to them very, very closely. We, we are doing our best. You know, we could always do more, and we could always um, spend more time on it, so I'll never say that, you know, it was perfect or we did everything we could. I think given the time constraints, we just want to always make sure that we're extending a hand in partnership, not only to our teachers, but to our parents, to our students, um, to our local community partners such as Skip Along and Boys Club Girls Club and YMCA and some of these other uh, community partnerships that have really helped us put our best foot forward. I have to give a shout out to the city of Moline and the Moline PD. I mean, they continue to extend a hand in partnership. What can we do to support you? What can we do to help? Um, I do have to give a shout out to the city of Moline who has stepped up to help us provide internet service for some of our uh, most uh, in need families. That's amazing. <clears throat> I have yeah. to give a shout out to the Moline PD and Chief Galt who have stepped up to invite us in to be a part of one of their community support and neighborhood outreach programs that they're putting together. So, you know, I've been here just a year and um, I, I am just genuinely impressed with the way people in the Quad Cities and Moline in particular just, just really come together. You know, we don't have all the answers and it's not perfect. And we don't have everything, but we have a lot in our, in our community partners. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, especially because we talk a lot about um, multitasking on this podcast because women are the ultimate multitaskers. And as a superintendent of a school district in the middle of a worldwide public health epidemic, I can only imagine how much multitasking you have to do just in your job. And we're not even, we haven't even touched yet on like what you do outside of your job. Yeah, it just sounds bad, doesn't it? <laughs> but you know what? But you know what? I've never, you know, obviously I am a woman and I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to serve the community of Moline and serve among all of the educators in our region. But I never really, I never really think about that. You know, I wanted to earn my way and earn my keep on my um, dedication and my, you know, my, my skills or my loyalty to the community that I'm serving. So while I love to see uh, fellow women in leadership roles, and certainly, uh, you know, I, I can speak to our multitasking talents, um, uh, but, you know, that, that's not something I ever really think about, you know, just in terms of, oh, I'm a woman, so, so it must be this way or it must be that way. I just want to do my best, as I would expect anybody would do in this position. 
Yeah, absolutely. And as you and I have talked about, you aren't alone in this kind of challenge. Every superintendent across our country is dealing with this exact same situation, it seems like. It's true. And, you know, I understand from the family side, you know, I have two kids of my own and they're in college, but I, I can only imagine if they were young and as a working mom or a working, you know, female, the challenges associated with childcare and with being home to put a meal on the table and with making sure your kids are getting their remote learning done and maybe you're taking care of elderly parents. I mean, women women have a lot on their plate and, you know, they're, they're keeping it together. But my heart goes out to those families that are struggling just to, just to keep all of those balls in the air. Yeah, and speaking of um, thinking of others, other perspectives, whether it's the parent perspective, the student perspective, the teacher perspective, that really, even if you if you take even the COVID-19 pandemic out of it, that really is the role of the superintendent of a school district, right, is to look at all of those perspectives whenever you're making a decision. It's important that we do. You know, it's, you know, we've got We've got a 55% of our families in this district qualify for free and reduced lunch. I don't know that everybody knows that. We have 60, that's six zero different languages spoken in our district. I don't know that everybody knows that. You know, we've got amazing community partnerships, um, and I could go on and on giving shout-outs to folks in the greater Quad City region that, that step up to support us. But, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to find success despite all of those learning barriers and challenges that many of our families have. So when we're designing a plan, it cannot just be for the family that has two parents and um, a steady income and uh, a decent grocery budget and a vehicle and gas in the car and you know, someone in the family to care for the children. You know, the plan that we put forth cannot be just for the family that has all of those resources. Mm -hmm. um, the plan also has to take care of and think about and take into consideration our families that have limited resources. You know, we've got, you know, shout out to single parents across the world. Oh, yeah. They are my heroes. Single moms talk about Wonder Women, you should be talking yeah. to them, not me. They're the real, they're the real MVPs. So I want to always think about our single moms and think about, you know, our, our poor moms that are, you know, working, you know, third shift or holding multiple jobs to be able to pay the rent and, you know, have buy bus passes and put food on the table. Those, those are the real heroes, not me. Those are the real Aww. Wonder Women and MVPs in our community, and I can't give them enough shout out. But that's who we try to consider when we're making our plan. Not the family that has the most, but the family that has the least. And mm -hmm. I can't even tell you that we were able to do that. Because if we were, we'd be able to have kids in school five days a week. And it's just, it's just not safe. And so that, that breaks my heart. But I just, I just want to get there. I just want to be able to add more days for our families as the year continues and as conditions of the pandemic hopefully improve. Um, that, that's just, those are the things that kind of keep me up at night. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that you are not getting a lot of sleep. <laughs> that is for sure. Um, 
on a normal school, I know you just started with the Moline um, Coal Valley School District last year, 2019-2020 um, school year. Um, you, you came in uh, filling some big shoes because the superintendent before you was in the district for like, more than two decades, I think. Um, what was that like, um, being new to our community, um, filling this big superintendent role, and uh, what were some of the, the joys? I know we've talked a lot about the challenges, but some of the joys of the superintendent position last year. Well, I have to give a shout out to Mr. Lanty McGuire. You know, <laughs> he was a superintendent in this district for quite some time, and he um, was a part of our district in many different roles for many, many years. So I give him all the shout outs and the kudos. You know, he really had a legacy of community service, and you know, it was tough to take his place and tough to fill those shoes. I'll be the first to admit that. But he he was uh, very kind and helpful, um, and kind of uh, providing me insight and guidance through the transition. We spoke on the phone many times. You know, we had, you know, I was able to come and visit and spend some time with him. He kept me sort of abreast with decisions that were being made in the district, such as being able to move forward with the new um, district athletic facility. And I was able to learn about the Bartlett Performing Arts Center um, yeah, beautiful. building. So <clears throat> he really took care of the district. And he really helped me in my transition. So I have to give him all, all the, the props for a, just, a, just a legacy, again, of community service. And I thank him for that. Um, I, you know, what I really enjoyed was just getting to know everybody. I would say that this community has a lot of pride. And this community really steps up to take care of one another. Um, every community has its challenges. Um, every community has its struggles, so I'm, I don't have, you know, rose-colored glasses. I know we've got our challenges, but, you know, this, this, the, the folks that I have the pleasure of serving among, you know, they try to tackle things head-on. We own our mistakes. We own our, our um, you know, our, our areas of needing improvement. We just kind of want to own and, and be honest about those things, but just, Keep, keep trying to move forward and, and provide the kids in this community with the best possible service and, and the families, too. Um, we just um, had our class of 2020. I was actually just looking at some of our statistics. And, you know, talk about source of pride. You know, nearly 50% of the graduating class of 2020 has a, a 3.0 grade point average or better. Um, just looking at the stats here, we've got 47 Illinois State scholars. 37 presidential academic scholars. You know, over 100 of them um, are members of the National Honor Society. We've got a National Merit Scholar. And probably the, one of the things that I think is pretty cool um, is the community service that this class has put forward. And I think that speaks to our community. You know, the class of 2020 raised over $45,000 for ShareJoys. And that, that money went to clothing for like over 300 kids in our district. Um, we've got kids going to West Point, Ivy League schools, going into military service. Um, we were able to start the CNC manufacturing apprenticeship, and so we've got many students moving forward in skilled trade um, apprenticeships and training. Uh, and lastly, I would just say about our athletes, um, 44 of our athletes um, were all conferenced for their academics and over 90 um, all-conference for their athleticism. So I'm just, I'm just really proud, and I'm just one 
one person among everybody in the district to just try to do the best that we can for our kids and help them to be successful. Yeah, it's very clear, you know, your passion for education and your passion and why, I mean, it makes sense that we chose you as our superintendent of the school district. Uh, how did you get into this career field? Um, I know you did some teaching, and I'd love to learn more about that, but also making the leap from teacher to administrator. <laughs> That's a great question. Well, I am originally from Dubuque, Iowa, so not that far away. Heard of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I heard of it. Um, I, you know, but I've been coming to the Quad City since I was a kid. I mean, I have to tell you, this was big time for us. You know, when when I was a kid, we would come to the North the Park Mall, you know, for some big time shopping, and that was like, oh my God, that was big time, big city stuff. So, <laughs> I love you know, that. So, you know, I I've always had a, a warm place in my heart for the Quad City. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Dubuque. I um, attended Loris College in Dubuque and University of Iowa, but my first teaching job um, was to be a high school Spanish teacher. And so I actually um, taught high school Spanish for about 14 years for Dubuque Community School District. Um, and while I was a teacher, I, had, I was invited to be a part of an interview process for an assistant principal in our building. And that was my first exposure to, you know, any anything an administrator or a principal would have to have to know or have to be able to do or have to be able to understand. And so I got to be a part of this interview and I thought that was like really cool, you know. I get to <laughs> yeah. go and listen to these assistant principals at this big high school. And after I started listening to the questions, I don't know why I had something spark in me, you know, to say well, I think I could answer those questions. I don't know. Maybe I had a big head. Maybe I didn't know anything. Who knows? But anyway, it was enough to inspire me to um, go back to school and to get a master's degree in educational administration. And so that one experience really just inspired me to want to go learn more. Not that I thought I had all the answers or I could do better than anybody in the room. None of that. Don't, don't get me wrong. It inspired me to think maybe I could do that. But more importantly, it inspired me to think if I served in this role, even though I knew it would be harder and I would have to go back to school and have more student loans and all of that kind of stuff, I began to think about how I could have a greater capacity to serve kids. Um, you know, I loved my teaching career. I taught thousands of students over 14 years. And it, it, it was so fulfilling for me. And I loved it. And I know that I got to positively affect the kids that were in my classroom um, over the years. But I thought, you know, if I took this next step, I might be able to help more kids. And so really that's how it got started. Um, as I mentioned, I went to Loris. And actually at the time, the educational administration program was a cohort with St. Ambrose here in the Quad Cities and Loris. So we had students from St. Ambrose and Loris College in the same principal classes, if you will, or you know, classes to be an educational administrator. So that was kind of another connection to the Quad Cities. Um, so I finished my program. And um, uh, at, you know, when I finished it, I was still teaching. Um, but my husband is a professor at University of Dubuque. He uh, is a professor in the aviation department. Oh, cool. Um, and so he, you know, he commutes to Dubuque, although he hasn't had to commute since March. So he's right. been 
Zooming his classes, you know, like everybody else. Yeah, anyway, yeah he knows. <laughs> he had an opportunity back then to go to Arizona and to go to a prestigious private university called Embry-Riddle. And for folks that know about Embry-Riddle, they have a campus in Florida and they have a camp in Daytona, I believe, and also a campus in Prescott, Arizona. And Embry-Riddle is really the number one non-military institution in our country for aviation. So really only second to the Air Force Academy. So when he received an invitation to, to go there and, and be a professor there, you know, of course we were thinking, well, you have to go. You know, there's yeah, not the bad. Let's go. <laughs> you have to go. So he went, and I stayed back for a little bit um, and finished my program. And then I actually went to Arizona as well. And so my first principal job was in Arizona, in a small little town outside of Flagstaff, Arizona, which is up north of the state, up in the mountains, just absolutely gorgeous country, right in the middle of a national pine forest, um, just wow. really, really beautiful country. So I was there. We were there for six years. Oh, and so okay. I was a principal for three years um, at a K-8 building. It was kind of an elementary and a middle school combined. Um, so that was great experience after having high school um, teaching experience and high school practicum experience. And so I was there for three years, and then the superintendent there retired, and he said, well, I think you should take my place. And I was like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? I don't know anything. You know, I had only been a principal for three years. And he was kind of, actually, he was from uh, right outside Peoria, Illinois. And he, I actually think he was a basketball coach maybe at Bradley University or something. So he had this Midwest connection as well. And I think that's probably how I got the principal job. Who knows? You know, he, he probably saw Loris. In fact, he told me he saw Midwest Loris on my resume. And he said, hey, we, we used to play them in basketball. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how people get interviews, I swear. It's so strange sometimes. Um, anyway, so he said, I think you could do my job. And I was like, okay. You know, I appreciate the faith, but let me just tell you, I, I don't think I can do it. And he's like, oh, yeah, you can. So he, he recommended me, and by some grace of God, the board had some sort of faith that I could do the job. And so I really, you know, had the blessing to be able to try out the role of the superintendency in a very small, rural, and remote district. You know, we had less than 1,000 students. Um, and so it was a blessing to be able to um, have that role. And so quite honestly, I learned on the job. And so I, I was able to do that for three years. And then, um, you know, my mom was still in Dubuque. Um, my dad had passed years and years ago, so she was on her own. And I just, she was turning 70 that year. And I just kind of thought, oh, my gosh, I'm so far away. You know, what if she needs me type of thing? And I just kind of had this. I don't know, talk about a woman's intuition or something like that. Right. You know, I still had another year on my contract there. I had positive evaluations. And so I just, all of a sudden, I said to my husband, I said, I gotta, we got to go back to Iowa. Like, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, no, nobody goes from Arizona back to Iowa. Right. Yeah. Just the it's other way. A one -way I, said, I don't know. <laughs> I, said, I just feel like I need to be closer to her. I mean, she's doing great. and She's independent. She has a little shop. I mean, she's just doing awesome. But. I just had this feeling that I needed to come back when she turned 70. I had kind of like a moment of, I don't know, panic or clarity or something, whatever you want to call it. And so I started applying for jobs back in Iowa. 
and I kind of drew a big old circle around Dubuque. You know, I didn't need to live in Dubuque, but I would, you know, just something driving distance so that if she needed something, it would have been a short car ride rather than a three-hour plane ride. Um, right. And I was lucky enough to be able to get a position in Waterloo, um, which, as you know, is super close to Dubuque, going about an hour and 15-minute drive straight away on Highway 20 there. So, you know, Water, Waterloo is a big school district. You know, they have like 11,000 students and nearly 22 schools. And so, you know, having had my first administrative experience in a small rural district, I knew that I, I could stand to learn a lot, you know, in a big comprehensive district like Waterloo. And so, you know, I was willing to take any administrative role that they were willing to give me because I knew I would learn. I, I would learn so much that I didn't learn in Arizona, again, because it was a, such a small rural district. So they actually um, I had a great conversation with the human resource director, a great conversation with the superintendent, and um, that's Dr. Jane Lindeman. She's still there. And she said, you know, we'd love to have you here. We just don't have any positions open at the district level right now. And you know, I said, you know what, I don't care. I just want to... I just wanted any administrative role because I acknowledge I still have a lot to learn. You know, I mm -hmm. wasn't that person that, that cared more about the title than about kind of the roles and responsibilities. So she said, hey, let's bring you in. And so I was able to take a, a middle school principal position. Oof. And I would, say it was one of the, I would say it was one of the best things that I could have done. It was very, really? oh. it was very cathartic, but it was also very... Um, it was good for me to be back in a building after having a district role because I was reminded again why we do the things that we do. I was reminded again, being with kids every day, how important it is to remember that when a person is at the district level making decisions. Sometimes you can get all wrapped up in the paperwork and you can get wrapped up in politics and policy and all of those things, which I, I am not saying are not important. But really, kids are the most important thing. You know, like, kids are our clients, you know. I always say yeah. our clients are 12. <laughs> you know, kids are our clients. So I, I look back on that experience. I did four years there as one of the most positive things I could have ever done. I learned so much there, and I will forever be eternally grateful. And I really do think that it was because of that experience in a large district, a very diverse district, you know, a community that has its own fair share of problems and challenges. I really feel like it was that experience that empowered me or taught me or, you know, changed me enough to be able to be competitive here for a position, you know, in the Quad Cities. Um, you know, every community has its challenges. And what I learned in Waterloo, I, you know, I, I would gather some folks felt would be a benefit here. I, I don't, I don't know. but. That's really kind of my path and what led me here. Um, and I wouldn't change any of it. The, the ups and downs, you know, the mistakes, you know, the things you learn the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, anybody that says they didn't learn things the wrong way or the hard way is not being honest. So <laughs> I learned a lot. I, I learned yeah. a lot the easy way and I learned a lot the hard way. Um, but, you know, after 20, you know, this is like 25 years now and with, you know, 10 years of administration and, and so on um, has really brought me to this point. And I'm still learning, okay? I'm still learning. I have to read all the time um, <laughs> to, to keep up because things are changing. So I'll never, yeah. 
I'll never think that I know enough or I know it all um, because things are changing so much and we just have to keep learning so that we can be what our kids need us to be. Yeah, well, that's what I think that I take away the most from your story is that you weren't afraid to keep learning. It wasn't like it ended after you graduated from Loris and you're like, okay, now I have these skills. What can I do for the next 50 years with these skills? You weren't afraid to keep going and keep expanding your mind. Right, and I wasn't sure if it was right for my career to, you know, I have this conversation with mentors. If I'm a superintendent, should I take a principalship? And, you know, if you look at it from a resume standpoint, that's one thing. But if, you, if you're really honest with yourself about what the opportunity really means to learn and to get better, um, that was the best decision that I ever made. And I, I'm just glad that they gave me a, a chance. And <clears throat> I'll tell you what, middle school, you kind of chuckled when I said middle school. They oh, yeah. are my favorite. Really? I love middle school <laughs> because they are just, you know, God bless them. They're just God kind bless of, them. God bless them. But I we all went how through I it. was in middle school. And that oh, all. yeah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you know, we all just kind of have that odd period of our life. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> They just want someone to love them, but guess what? They want someone to love them for not who they are in the moment necessarily, yeah. but who they're going to become and who they yeah. can be. So if you if you embrace them in that regard, you can kind of look over all the awkwardness oh, and all the kind I of stuff that. for middle school. But they're my favorite. I'll always I'll always take middle school. I, I wish I had you as my principal in middle school. Oh, I'll say that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know, it was a lot of what were you thinking? You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. they just, you know, they don't know. They just, they just kind of like, I don't know, the giant don't know. It's like, okay, whatever. Let's, well, let's just, you wonder, know, move on. I wonder if I reflect on my middle school experience and reflect on, you know, the principal was always kind of like the, you know, like, oh God, the principal. You know, like, and for me growing up, it was always a man, right? My principal was always a man, and it always felt like, right, just so like different and like that they, I don't know, but I, I wonder if there is, you know, we talk about the woman's touch or whatever it is, like, but seeing a woman in those positions, if that changes a student's perspective a little bit and makes them open up or have better relationships with administrators, I, I, I don't know, I just kind of reflecting on that in the moment right now. Yeah, there might be something to that. Certainly, we can always use more males in education, but like yeah. you pointed out, they don't typically stay in the classroom. They rise to the top in administration. And so that's right. why you have like 80% of teachers are female or, or something like yeah, that. Or, exactly. I heard some stat, don't quote me exactly, but it's something like 80% of educators are female. So for males that, um, you know, get along well with kids and, you know, want to give back to the community, we love, love, love when we have um, males, you know, be able to apply for um, teaching roles, especially at the elementary level for, yeah. for our young men who would just benefit from having a role model. But, you know, at the principal level, I don't really know. I can tell you in Arizona when I was a superintendent, I was under 40 and I was female, it was rare. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I it, really, it really is the Wild West, I have to say. I love <laughs> my time there, but it really is the Wild West. And there's a, you know, it was predominantly male predominantly Caucasian, predominantly older, over the age of 60. So you sort of have to, you know, 
put away kind of the shenanigans and kind of step up so that you can be taken mm -hmm. seriously. And so that was a learning experience for me as well, uh, just to try to make, make a way into, at the time, was more of a man's world, if you will. But I don't see it that way anymore. I mean, there's awesome women in leadership um, all over the place. And Do you I think, think it's getting it better? I think it's getting better, um, but I, I honestly, I was looking up a statistic not too long ago, and it might be, as far as the superintendent level, it might be like 25%. So, um, you know, at the at the teacher level, it's like 80%, but at the superintendent level, it's 25%. So how can we nurture our, and grow our awesome female teachers who are talented and willing to step up and kind of serve their, their community and have a great, like I said back in the beginning, they have a greater capacity to affect kids. Um, so we always want to, you know, constantly be looking for that talent and for those at least that have the heart to want to step up and serve. But it's it's a lot of commitment. You know, when mm -hmm. I was a principal and a superintendent in in Arizona, my kids were like in elementary school and middle school. So, um, you know, I those poor kids, I. At the end of the day, it's kind of like you don't have a whole lot of patience for your own kids. Right. But yeah, you know, I have those poor kids, I drug them all over the place. They went to so yeah. many boring board meetings and all of that. But so you know, I that was tough. It was it was more of a challenge back then when my kids were younger, um, because mm. it is such a time commitment, and you want to be present at athletic events and music events and choral concerts and band concerts and plays and all of that. You know, there's an expectation of visibility. So, yeah. you know, during the day we were in the schools and at night we were going to an event. And so it was easy when my kids were in those events. That was kind of a bonus. Right. That helped. <laughs> um, and it was kind of a bonus when I was the principal of my own kid's school, although they won't say that. But, you know, I kind of enjoyed having that extra time with them as a parent. Yeah. But um, I remember one time I was walking down the hallway as the principal, and my, my son was like in, I don't know, he was like in sixth grade or something, talk about goofy middle school time. And he, he was sitting outside the door of his social studies classroom. Uh -oh. And I came walking along, and I saw him, and he saw me, and he's like, oh, man. He's like, you never would have found out about this. And it's like, oh, my God. And one time he got sent to the office, of course. And so he's in my office, and he's like, Mom, can't we just deal with this at home? <laughs> You're like, first of all, it's Dr. Savage. Right, right, Second right. right. <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, you now you have to go get a detention because you can't have any special treatment. So there was another teacher there who was, like, super old school, and so he would go to garage sales and buy, like, vacuum cleaners and stuff. And so when the kids were naughty in class, he would make them stay Talk about the Wild West, right? He would make him stay in the classroom at lunch and clean his classroom. With and the one time, ancient vacuum cleaner? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> one time I was walking by and my daughter was in eighth grade and I walked by and she's vacuuming his classroom <laughs> during lunch. And she just looks at me and just kind of like rolls her eyes and I was like, oh my God. I honestly thought that was the funniest thing I ever saw in my whole life. Well, it's like having to write lines on a chalkboard. There are no chalkboards to do yeah, that anymore. I was just probably talking too much, you know, who knows. But anyway. They have it so easy now with the dry erase boards. <laughs> I know, no chalk dust. Anyway, so I've... Chalkboard erasers. Right, so I've enjoyed that time, you know, those kind of extra moments I was able to have with my kids, you know, even though they yeah. probably didn't appreciate it a whole lot. Right, uh, right. 
But, you know, they're in college now, and so kind of helping them and, you know, last semester having to do a lot of their work online and navigate that. But I just, my heart goes out to the families that have little kids and trying to help them through all that. I just know what a challenge it must be. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope that through this pandemic, our, these kids that have to go through it will just be really, I hope resiliency is the word that we use when we look back on this time. And those students can say, you know, whether they were in high school or college, you know, especially the old, yeah, the older ones that could say, like, you know, I got through this, and I'm absolutely because of it. I surveyed the class of 2020. I sent them an online Google form survey, and I asked them just that: What lessons have you learned? What life lessons will stick with you through adulthood? And they said the most amazing things. And I actually use that as fodder for my graduation speech. So I know the graduation speeches are recorded online on the district website. Um, And so I I wanted them to kind of hear all the things that they said they learned to just remind them to carry those lessons through adulthood and how I think they'll be better for it, even though they made sacrifices. I think I genuinely think they'll be, I think they'll be better problem solvers. I think they'll be more involved in their communities, just in all the ways I heard that they they stepped up um, during the last spring mandatory shutdown and, and all, all through all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get to our um, the questions that we always ask on that this podcast. We've got two really important ones, and the first one being, Rachel, what is a Wonder Woman to you? <laughs> well, you know, I think I may have alluded to it already. A Wonder mm-hmm. Woman to me is any woman that is keeping it together. <laughs> just any woman that's keeping it together, especially the woman that's keeping it together that has limited resources. Those women are my heroes. You know, come come what may, no matter how hard they have to work, you know, those women that are keeping it together to make sure their kids are safe, keep food on the table, have a job, help their parents, you know, whatever whatever it is. The, the women that are keeping it together, given all the challenges that I know so many families face, those, those are my heroes. I love that, the women that are keeping it together. That is fantastic. And finally, Rachel, what's your advice for the next generation of the Girl Power Movement? <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> my advice is to, you know, we always say, reach for the stars. Right. You know, and that's kind of cliche, but, it, you know, I always say, reach for the star, and then you kind of end up somewhere in the middle. But yeah. if you yeah. just reach for, you know, something minimal, you don't quite reach your full potential. So I always want them to say or to believe that they can do it. You can do it. Believe in yourself and confidence, you know, just to teach our young women to you know, believe in their ability, believe in their beauty, have confidence. Um, you know, that's, that's my advice. Have confidence. Um, believe that you can do it. And sometimes, you know, like when I was stepping into my first role, I didn't know if I could do it. You know, I, you know I, my mom said, just fake it till you make it. Fake it till you I was just going to say that. <laughs> and so I probably did, you know, until you really had the confidence. But I just want, I want our young women in our community and in our state to, just to believe in themselves. And I want the other women, you know, those that maybe have a little more years of experience, to remember to tell them every day that they can do it. I think they need 
I think our young ladies, not only, it's not just on them, right? It's not just on them to believe they can do it. Um, those of us that have been around the block a few times or have a little more years of experience, we need to be telling them on a daily basis and empowering them. So I think we've all got a hand in that, um, and I'm just I'm glad for, you know, the direction and the opportunities that many of our uh, young women are having these days. And just um, being inspired by your story, inviting them to the room, inviting them into those programs where maybe they don't think that they could do more than just teach Spanish, you know, like they need those opportunities given to them to show that, oh, you know, maybe I could do this and maybe I could do it even a little bit better. I'm going to go and continue my education or whatever it is and, and really Absolutely. make changes on a bigger level. Sometimes it's just one experience. You know, when yeah. I was a Spanish teacher, I had the chance to travel with students all over the world. We went to Spain and Mexico and Costa Rica, and we went to France and Italy and all these places. And just to see their eyes light up and to think, wow, they kind of learn their place in the world and they kind of see what's out there. So that was really cool to get to see a lot of that, a lot of, lot of our young students be empowered to think, wow, there's something bigger out there. And I, I can make my way, um, and I can, I can really have a fulfilling life and um, just a positive um, opportunity to give back to whatever community they serve, you know, yeah, as well, they become adults. Well, certainly you are giving back to our community by serving um, our students and our school district, and I want to thank you so much as a fellow Moliner for what <laughs> you do for our school district. Well, how long does it take to become a Moliner? <laughs> well... I've been living in Moline since I graduated from Augustana, 2008, 2009. And so you're know. a Moliner now. I'm a Moliner, and I married a Moliner. And I think okay. you're a Moliner, too. I think that you've been here for a year, and what a year it's been. You can become a Moliner as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If anybody uh, challenges me on that, I'm going to say, hey, Angie Sharp said I was a Moliner. She said, so. I'm no longer a Dubuquer. I'm a Moliner. Right, right, right. <laughs> Or a Waterlooer or whatever. Yeah, Waterlooer or an Arizona or I don't know. Right, You're right, here right, now right, and that's right. what matters. You're oh, I appreciate that. Person. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Rachel, thank you so much for being one of our, our Wonder Women. Appreciate it. You have a great day. Thank you. Well, that does it for this month's episode. You can find more information about all of our Wonder Women on WQAD.com. Just click the podcast tab at the top of our homepage. Ladies out. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.